Hello and welcome to Sound Strategic. I'm Maya Nowens. In today's episode, we'll take a look at artificial intelligence and NATO. AI has been considered the biggest technological challenge facing the alliance's nations and a key emerging threat to strategic stability and collective security as allies' adversaries invest in AI technology of their own. NATO is making considerable efforts, therefore, to develop its own artificial intelligence strategy and policy as part of a wider strategy to harness the benefits of emerging technologies. Here to help me unpack the role that the Alliance can play in coordinating and accelerating the adoption of AI and establishing interoperability standards and norms within NATO, I'm joined today by Erica Pepe and Franz Stefan Gatti. Erica is the IISS Coordinator for Research and the Analyst for Conflict Security and Development at the IISS. She supports the coordination of research programs and managerial fundraising and outreach activities, She also conducts research for the Conflict Security and Development Program, as well as the Defense and Military Analysis Program, and contributes research support to the IISS Armed Conflict Survey and the Military Balance and Military Balance Plus database. Prior to joining the IISS, Erica previously worked at the NATO Defense College and European Parliament. In addition to holding a master's degree in international relations from Lewis University, she holds qualifications from the University of Oxford's Artificial Intelligence Program, as well as the LSE's Cyber Law course. Franz isn't new to Sound Strategic, but for those who don't know him yet, he is the Research Fellow for Cyber, Space, and Future Conflict. At the Institute, Franz focuses on the future of war, strategic technologies, European and Asian security, as well as great power conflict. Prior to joining the IISS, he held various positions at the East-West Institute, the Project on National Security Reform, and the National Defense University. He conducted field research in Afghanistan and Iraq, where, among other things, he embedded with the Afghan National Army, NATO forces, and Kurdish militias. And if that wasn't enough, he's also reported from a wide range of countries and conflict zones as a journalist. So welcome on the show, Erica, and welcome back, friends. Hi, thank you very much for having us. Great to be back on the show, Maya. Erica, let's start broadly on the topic of AI. What is it and what isn't it? And what definition does NATO use for AI? Thank you very much for the introduction, Maya. I think that talking about the role that NATO could play in setting the standards for the use of AI for defense and security is indeed an important conversation to have. But before we go more into details on that, I wanted to start to take a step back and start saying what is AI and why AI is important for NATO. So the term AI, artificial intelligence, has become popular in the recent years, but it is not new. And it was mentioned for the first time by John McCarthy, an American computer scientist back in 1956. But since then, there have been many different definitions for AI that changed the over the years, also according to the different phases of the development of the technology. And without going into the philosophical dissertation of what is intelligence and what is an intelligent machine, I will give you NATO's definition of AI that comes from the US Department of Defense AI strategy, which describes AI as referring to the ability of machines to perform tasks that normally require human intelligence. For example, learning from experience. And so differently from traditional computers with AI, after the initial training of the algorithms, no further programming is done by humans to enable these machines to perform their tasks. So basically AI is about building machines that can learn like human brains do. And machines can then match or surpass 
human performance in many tasks, such as finding trends in large amount of data. And maybe not everyone realizes that uh, in recent years, uh, AI has gained a constant presence in our day-to-day -day life because we interact with AI-enabled systems by using face recognition to unlock our smartphones, or when we choose a movie which has been recommended to us on Netflix, or when we see a product recommendation on Amazon, when we interact with smart personal assistants like Alexa and Siri and in many other ways. So it is not a surprise uh, that countries around the world have realized the potential of AI also for security and defense and that NATO allies are now striving to retain the technological edge and accelerate research and development of military applications of AI, because this could help achieve a military advantage at the tactical, operational, and strategic level. So we've heard uh, quite a lot about the transformative, if not revolutionary, potential that AI might have for civilian and defense industries, um, as Erica has just said. Um, but what are some of the drawbacks of AI? Thank you, Maya. That, that's, a, that's a great question. But uh, first of all, let me perhaps uh, quickly build on what um, Erica just said. And um, I think generally there's definitely a hype surrounding artificial intelligence at the moment. And this is not exclusively really uh, just within NATO, but it really goes to, to society in general. It's almost this uh, deus ex machina device that seems to be the solution to all the world's problems at the moment. So, um, of course, in the private sector, we're also seeing a proliferation of um, AI products uh, out there. And I remember reading an article in the Financial Times a couple of months ago that indicates that around 40% of um, artificial intelligence startups in Europe um, that really advertise AI programs don't really use any AI in the product. So in, in, in one sense, that really speaks to um, the loose definition of AI, artificial intelligence, but also highlights some technical illiteracy, I think. But um, I think it's really important that when we talk about artificial intelligence and NATO, what we really are talking about is uh, machine learning algorithms, right? And um, these are algorithms essentially that use statistics to guess patterns um, in massive amounts of data. And that's essentially it to a large degree. So it's not really a super weapon. It's not really a panacea for all of the world's problems, but it, it has a very specific purpose and a very specific task. And I think um, um, what's really important when we talk about the limitations of artificial intelligence or rather machine learning, right? Um, I think it's important to understand that machine learning can correlate data for causality. In other words, um, machine learning is really all about correlation and not causation. And this is really a problem when it comes to um, trust, essentially. Why? Because generally you need causality um, for explanations, right? And you can't really explain if you don't really have a cause and effect um, relationship describe uh, a phenomenon or like an event out there, um, you sort of really have a trust problem at the end of the day. Because if you don't precisely know why artificial intelligence comes up with a certain explanation or a prediction rather, because um, machine learning is really mostly about predictions, right? If this is just a magical box, um, you are likely to trust artificial intelligence less. And so I think because of this lack of trust and there are uh, trust and there are many other reasons out there, but just to, to singularly focus on trust, um, 
I think um, as long as this problem is not solved in one way or the other, um, AI is not going to be as widely accepted within the armed forces of NATO for some of the more delicate tasks out there. For example, um, decision support for senior or military commanders in general about the use of force, which is really a crucial component when you look at doctrinal documents um, among NATO and in particular the United States and the UK to set the earth decision support in AI. As long as this trust issue is not resolved, I think um, it's going to be fairly limited where we will see AI. And I think um, in the short term, that is in the next couple of years, I think it's mostly going to be confined to um, logistics, for example, which is hugely important, of course, for any military. Um, and then intelligence, surveillance and reconnaissance, where it's really about processing data um, through um, machine learning algorithm and turning it into actionable intelligence and then also um, in this field of predictive maintenance of military equipment and facilities and only in the long term i think once we solve this trust issue will we see command and control support more um, autonomous platforms and then um, unmanned aerial autonomous vehicles and so forth all that stuff that you hear about when you talk about the future of conflict and so forth and then of course human uh, machine teaming as well so i think Generally, when we talk about AI, I think um, NATO really should move away a bit more from this debate about lethal autonomous systems or uh, as they're colloquially known, right, killer robots and more directly embrace where AI can really make a difference, such as in logistics and predictive maintenance, just because um, of this trust issue that really presents some inherent limitations to its use. So the killer robot argument is premature, you'd argue. I don't think it's um, it's it's premature. I think there are some political sensitivities that need to be taken into account by many um, NATO member states, particularly um, by Germany, for example, where there is going to be a huge a political backlash against the the, um, the use of autonomous lethal autonomous autonomous systems. Right? I mean, there's this big debate of about um, armed drones right now, armed um, unmanned aerial vehicles. And I think um, this debate should be ha should be um, had, but at the same time, I think NATO would do very well to decouple this from where um, artificial intelligence can make a difference right now. And that is that is not really when it comes to uh, in the field of um, lethal autonomous systems and killer robot. That's really much more um, in the field of logistics and predictive maintenance, in my opinion. Erica. I agree with France that uh, there is uh, a lot of skepticism about AI because in the past, uh, sometimes uh, too much optimism has led to unrealistic predictions of what AI would be capable to achieve in the future. Um, but I also think that in the recent years, uh, there have been significant progress to the advancement uh, in technology and also uh, uh, the ability of big data and also uh, computer processing power. And, and so um, there are many potential for the use of AI already, and it has actually uh, already been used in many ways. Uh, um, but obviously, as uh, Franz uh, uh, mentioned, there are also many challenges and risks uh, to be addressed. And uh, as also he mentioned, there is uh, the problem of the trust, so, uh, the, which is probably related to the algorithm explainability. So because of how machine uh, learning algorithms work, uh, it is difficult 
and sometimes impossible to replicate a decision reached by a machine and so identify the reasons why a machine made a specific decision. And of course, uh, uh, when algorithms are deployed to make life-changing decisions, the theme of why the machine made a decision becomes really important. And this raises important ethical questions about whether AI-enabled autonomous machines can be held accountable for mistakes or um, maybe for collateral damages. And so as, as Franz was saying, that the idea of using AI-based weapons such as um, AI-powered drones and AI-powered autonomous weapon systems, it is appealing. But on the other hand, um, it is appealing for government, but it, it creates um, um, a lot of concerns um, when you take humans out of the loop and let algorithms to decide. And if we made an extreme example, um, there is um, the story of Stanislav Petrol that has widely circulated in the recent years. Um, in, uh, in 1983, Petrol was a lieutenant colonel in the Soviet Air Defense Forces and officer on duty in a base near Moscow, where the United Soviet, um, with the, the Soviet Union's early warning system detected the five American um, missiles had been launched from the United States and were heading toward the Soviet Union. So Petrol has some doubts that did not trust the computer redoubts, so decided not to pass the information up uh, the chain of command as per protocol, which would have made a, um, a strike against the United States almost, almost certain. And in the end, it he was right. It was a false alarm. And uh, so one person prevented an accidental nuclear war that would kill million, millions of people. And so we could wonder what would happen if the decision to respond to the attack was made by air systems. And so there is a huge debate on this topic. Uh, with thousands of experts uh, warning about the threat of uh, an arms race, the military artificial intelligence, and calling and calling for a ban on autonomous weapons. Um, but and also this includes also the United Nations Secretary General and many other people. Um, but uh, the public debate is much focused on uh, uh, lethal autonomous weapon systems. But it is not uh, only uh, that, and uh, um, and the it, of the ethical concerns are raised for AI in general, and not only for um, autonomous, autonomous weapons, but also for ensuring, for example, the algorithms are unbiased. The public debate is much focused on uh, um, lethal autonomous uh, weapon systems, uh, but nonetheless, ethical concerns are raised for AI in general, uh, not only for auto autonomous weapons. Um, for example, for ensuring the algorithms are unbiased. And these ethical concerns have been addressed by the U.S. Department of Defense and will be addressed also um, uh, by NATO. You've both talked about the, the motivations behind NATO's uh, continued focus or NATO's enhanced focus on, on AI and, and the potential it holds for the alliance. But I'm just wondering, why does it care about it now? I mean, it, AI is hardly a new technology, hardly a new application or, or way of manipulating data. Um, and gathering analysis. So, so what has been the um, what has been the momentum behind this decision and the strategy now? In a nutshell, I believe that these progressive 
um, and growing in importance uh, uh, for OVI for NATO, um, it is for three main reasons. First of all, because of the potential in the future of this technology, but also because um, allies' adversaries are investing in AI. And so there is an urgency for uh, allies to remain strategically relevant and technological prepared for the future of conflicts and to be able to defend uh, from these potential threats um, and also create a, an alternative, so a Western alternative to standards and norms uh, uh, for AI. And um, and on that, I think NATO wants and can uh, have a role in the coordination of allies' efforts and in setting the standards. Although it is not easy because obviously NATO's uh, membership is wide and that's top level common approach to IMI uh, not be agreed on all the aspects of the issues. Uh, and so this could ha- hinder the ability of the allies to leverage synergies among themselves and across sectors. And not always NATO has been successful in establishing standards and make um, members to comply. And, and so reaching an agreement on a very complicated matter like this, obviously it is difficult. These are the reasons uh, um, why NATO is a uh, now putting more focus on AI. So you've mentioned um, the fact that adversaries are um, focusing on on AI as well, and, and that's one of the main, main motivations for NATO. You know, we've talked a lot about the amount of money and resources that countries like China, for example, um, have, have put into um, their own AI capabilities, both at home and for civilian and, and, and military purposes. In that sense, do we think that NATO is behind the curve uh, and if we do want to describe this as an AI race, which I know that we might have some issues with uh, that language, um, is NATO in a position to catch up and actually fast track its uh, its policies and its strategies? Uh, well, I just wanted to perhaps um, also build on the last point that Erica mentioned and maybe connected to your question, um, your current question, and that is really, um, I mean, you mentioned a crucial component why um, artificial intelligence is so prominent now in national security thinking um, in the transatlantic community among NATO countries in general. And that is on the one hand, China, on the other hand, it's Russia. It's uh, We have entered this new age of power competition um, with um, China and Russia. I mean, the self-proclaimed age of great power competition unilaterally declared by the United States, but NATO has been picking up up, and it's, it found its way into, into, into um, documents um, in uh, the UK and other European NATO member states, of course. Um, but I think the, the original idea was really one um, at the operational level for when it comes to the use of artificial intelligence. And that is this idea that China in particular um, at the operational level and tactical level is deploying so-called um, A2AD systems that really will prevent freedom of maneuver of um, US forces in a future conflict with China. And the idea here was really to disable those A2AD um, complexes, which mostly really was um, long range air defense systems and um, um, really to deal with the missile threat that China poses in East Asia and then to a different degree also Russia. It was really transposed. um, The Chinese um, A2AD concept was really transposed upon Russia and therefore it sort of made it vicariously also into into Europe, right? Um, But the idea uh, here was really to to, um, create or use artificial intelligence in a way to break through this A2AD bubble 
And the way how you do that is really use a um, artificial intelligence in order to gain what um, is in U.S. doctrine and NATO doctrine often called information superiority, information dominance. That is, you have more information faster than your adversary, and therefore you are also able to react faster. And by doing things faster, essentially hitting him first, um, that is your enemy, your adversary, you gain an advantage in the battle space. And this concept has been around for many decades. It keeps on popping up, like in the early 2000s. The United States military tried to implement a similar concept. At least the U.S. Army tried to do that, um, and it failed for various reasons, including technical issues, but also um, um, financial um, problems when it comes to this. When it, when it came to this particular project, but I think um, the the idea here was really mostly mostly about finding a way to deal with this new military threat posed by. China and Russia. And now, of course, China is developing also or is one of the leading powers when it came to artificial uh, when it comes to artificial intelligence. But I think um, I would completely disagree that, the, the, that there is an artificial intelligence race out there or that China is taking the lead or that NATO and the United States are falling behind. Why? Because at the end of the day, it's really all about data and it's about the right data. It doesn't matter if China leads in the commercial sector and is spying on its own population and collecting data about the behavior of its population because you can't really use it in a military situation. Because what does it really tell you if you know the shopping behavior or like, you know, the walking patterns of, of, of you know, like Chinese citizens in a certain town um, in, in China, right? When it comes to um, using that data for any sort of advantage in a mil in a future battle space, right? So I think it's really important to, to focus on the issue of data, to get good data and to get the right amount of data um, and here, I think NATO and the United States still have an advantage, in my opinion. Interesting. Erica? Obviously, we talk about uh, Russia um, because um, they are investing, they are made, making plans to automate its military systems. Although, if you want to learn more about that, we also have recently published a WSS Russian's military modernization dossier. Um, and, um, and we also talk about China. Um, but as Franz was saying, um, there there is concern about China's role, uh, but uh, the concern is uh, also um, um, spread uh, around also because uh, the U.S. Congress, for example, has recently published a report um, and expecting China to become uh, to surpass the United States as the world's uh, AI superpower within a decade. Um, so uh, obviously, there is much concern uh, for these countries. Uh, um, despite all uh, that uh, Fran said about uh, the, the, the data and the ability. Um, but I think that there's also something that uh, should, should be mentioned here, that um, the, it is not just about uh, China and Russia, but the, a matter of concern, it is that the, develop, the AI technology, once it's developed, uh, there is the risk that this becomes available to other states, threatening the international order, and also non-state actors. Uh, for example, weaponized drones can be easily built and used, and in the near future, uh, anyone could possibly find deep fakes algorithms and download them as easy as a, a PDF from internet, and use it deepfakes uh, and other uh, algorithms to as, as a destabilizing factor um, for the international order. Um, so there is a pressure 
I think, on the West in general to be able to defend against uh, um, AI-capable enemies of uh, all kind and uh, and also to create uh, uh, the norms and the standards uh, for for AI and uh, and try to make them consistent with the democratic values. Um, and here there is, again, I think, a, a role for NATO to play. You've both mentioned a little bit about challenges that uh, NATO faces in um, pursuing AI capabilities. And I wonder here whether we could expand on that a little bit. I mean, this is already a challenging thing for nation state governments to address uh, and to harness. So I'd imagine that within the alliance, there'd be an extra level of added complexity as well. Um, can we talk a little bit about that? I think you you raise an interesting uh, point here. And, and that is, I think, what we're going to see over the next couple of years is pursuing different AI strategies out of political um, considerations, but also because of uh, strategic reasons in one way or the other. Some countries are probably going to see AI as more crucially important than others. That's perhaps due to the particular strategic culture of, of that one country or the other. Just look at how France, for example, and Germany look differently at artificial intelligence and the use of artificial intelligence in, in future war fighting. And I think um, one one uh, big challenge in that regard is going to be interoperability. I know that sort of a fetish um, within NATO countries, interoperability in one way, right, is seen almost like as, as, as an end goal itself. It can never be an end goal, right? It's just a stepping stone towards more um, uh, better military effectiveness in uh in the event of a conflict right um but also in terms of uh propping up conventional deterrence of course vis-a-vis potential adversaries and so forth but i do think there are going to be some some big interoperability challenges and that's uh that brings me back to my original point i think that is rather than try to focus on something really really large or you know something you know an overarching architecture when it comes to artificial intelligence i think it's important perhaps to break it up into different components and really specifically focus on one sector for example logistics and see what can we do with machine learning algorithms and logistics what kind of public part uh, private partnerships can we bring on board here and some of this is already happening to a certain degree because i think in in that field for example i see huge potential and you can start or uh, you can just amplify um, expand on what you're doing in that field already the other uh, big part again would be you know predictive maintenance and 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 really trying to figure out perhaps some sort of common um, operating procedures when it comes to predictive maintenance and certain platforms such as the f-35 right or the eurofighter among nato nato allies um just because um, you know, it's it's a widely used um, aerial platform. The same goes for certain main battle tanks and so forth. So I think there's a lot of potential there without it having to be too political, as would be the case if you would uh, uh, grandiosely announce a big AI um, initiative or strategy at the NATO level, I think. I do agree with France that interoperability is a really important uh, point here. And I think that the idea of having a discussion about defining common technical standards in the early stages of the designing and engineering of AI systems could re- reduce the cost uh, in the future for adapting the equipment and procedures to make them compatible to work together. It is ine- inevitable uh, that without a strategy for future interoperability, 
um, the innovation gap among allies' uh, capabilities uh, can uh, um, be uh, huge. And, and so um, countries are now, as Frank was saying, adopting different strategies and some are reluctant to, to include defense applications via national strategies. And there is so a problem uh, about strategies, but also about adaptation and integration in existing equipment uh, and also in the culture uh, that might be resistant to changes. Um, so I think that it is important to try and, and reach a high level understanding and common thinking about these matters and having a top-down approach uh, uh, on singular, on, on specific aspects of, uh, of, of this issue. Um, and, but I think that this is not only the, the challenge uh, for, for NATO, there are many other challenges. Uh, and one of those, uh, I think it is uh, um, that uh, at the moment, it is the private sector leading on AI research. And uh, so innovation is, being carried out by startups, non-defense companies that have never worked in defense or have no wish to do so because it is too bureaucratic. And so facilitating the influx of AI technology from the private sector into the army forces is, is crucial. But obviously it is uh, difficult to drive talents um, in, in, the, in the defense research and uh, adopt uh, applications uh, which are already available in the private sector into the defense. Uh, so the point is now for NATO to find ways to engage with non-traditional contractors and, and also address concerns like exposure of intellectual property uh, of algorithms for dual uh, use technology. Um, and uh, another important challenge um, to be addressed, I believe, it is that uh, AI in defense poses very complex problems. Uh, um, ethical, legal, um, policy pitfalls, uh, and this includes um, um, the possible manipulation of data, but also the possible uh, vulnerability of AI in national security critical systems. Um, for example, um, AI is generating many concerns um, and a vast debate on how this could affect um, uh, nuclear weapon systems, and so NATO's nuclear stability, because in particular, for example, the modernization of nuclear weapon systems with AI application may introduce new vulnerabilities that have not yet been foreseen. And so this could undermine the, the ability to launch nuclear weapons or uh, in general, the ability to be to have a credible deterrence and so and prevent a nuclear crisis escalation. What I think is really, really fascinating listening to both of you talk about some of these challenges, that they are exactly the same challenges that countries like China face, which might be surprising to certain listeners um, of the podcast as well, who might have seen a lot of reporting on how advanced China's use of AI is at the moment. I mean, um, focusing on using AI to fix uh, problems like defense mobilization and logistics is a focus of theirs. Uh, how to work more closely with the private sector is still a question as well within the military civil fusion uh, policy that uh, Xi Jinping has implemented at national level. So all of these things, I think, are echoed in in, in other countries' experiences as well. Um, but maybe to end, and we're nearing uh, the end of our time here, um, what do you think NATO has done so far to turn its ambition into reality? And what do you think it should be focusing on in the short term? 
within NATO, um, some, some allies are driving the innovation effort, um, but uh, also at the NATO level, NATO increased the defense budget across the alliance and, uh, so, and agreed that 20% of NATO budget are allocated on investments on uh, new technologies. Also, AI efforts are not only resource intensive, it is also about strategy. And so NATO is trying to, to put uh, forward some strategies. And already in December 2019, during the London meeting, um, the allies agreed to develop a roadmap uh, for NATO's response to emerging and disruptive technologies. And this includes artificial intelligence. And in February this year, the, during the NATO defense ministers meeting, it was agreed um, coherent implementation strategy for this roadmap. A specific NATO AI strategy should emerge before summer 2021. And uh, this so should also uh, provide a platform to test whether AI military applications uh, of the allies are up to NATO standards, but also to set tech, um, ethical guidelines to ensure that humans are always accountable and uh, responsible for AI systems. And uh, there are many other initiatives. Uh, there is a new NATO innovation unit in Brussels, uh, um, which are leading on various uh, uh, collaborative activities and experimental projects. There is a new advisory group, um, which provides outside expertise. And uh, the NATO Secretary General has also proposed a NATO Defense Innovation Initiative that will be discussed at the next uh, NATO summit this year and intends uh, to help uh, transatlantic cooperation in that sector. And um, honestly, I believe that emerging technologies and AI will be at the center of the next uh, NATO summit in Brussels. It's a great question. And, and um, perhaps let me be slightly controversial towards the end here and to say that artificial intelligence in general, right, is a general purpose technology, sort of like the combustion engine, right, as one scholar once called it. So. In a, in a sense, uh, down the road, I don't think NATO will have a specific AI um, strategy or are, is going to be specifically focused AI, that it's not going to be specifically fo focused on combustion engines, right, in the future. In a sense, it's going to be so ubiquitous, this technology, that it's going to be everywhere and it's going to be used um, for a lot of other uh, capabilities. So it's really an enabling technological capability in cyber, you're going to see it in all the other domains, air, sea, land, and so forth, space, right? So I think what um, NATO should do is really move away from this idea that this is a very specific capability that needs to be had and really try to apply it to already existing deliberations and concepts. For example, there's a big doctrinal debate in NATO right now. The biggest one, I think, over the last um, three decades, really, um, NATO, the United States, and the UK is really moving in this direction of all domain or multi-domain operations. That is really the integration of different domains for future war fighting. And um, here, artificial intelligence is sort of like one of the crucial underpinnings that keeps this concept really, ties this concept really together. So we'd really specifically look into to what degree artificial intelligence or machine learning algorithms can really support or amplify the success of this concept once it's actually going to be adopted into official doctrine in a few years down the road. And here specifically, I'm talking about um, command and control capabilities or decision support mechanisms for senior military commanders, because I think this brings me um, 
back to my original point, it cannot happen really um, until this trust issue is addressed. And I think this is something where um, there's a technical component that needs to be addressed here, but then also an organizational and structural component here. And I think at the end of the day, the most important aspect in all of these technological adaptations is, of course, leadership. You need bold leadership at NATO level um, among the military, but also among politicians to really make this a reality and integrate artificial intelligence into all of these operations and into NATO um, at all levels, I think. Erica, last point. I just wanted to add something on what Fran said, that uh, even if it is not uh, uh, much into details, the fact that NATO wants to put forward a strategy at NATO level uh, might be important because NATO wants to be the platform to foster this cooperation uh, among allies because there are many other international bilateral initiatives at the moment. And so NATO wants to play a role and wants uh, to bring the discussion about the establishment of common standards uh, in the early stages. And I think that this can help also because um, NATO is uh, an alliance uh, uh, made of 30 countries. And even though there is uh, no legislative power, head of states meet regularly in summits, political leaders, uh, military leaders and commanders meet and agree on defense planning and spending. And uh, as France was saying, the leadership role is uh, really, really important here to uh, accelerate uh, uh, the discussion and provide uh, maybe a framework, even if broad, uh, for um, for the AI application in defense. Yeah, those are both really, really good points. Look, we've run out of time and we've only scratched the surface of this topic, so I'm sure that we'll pick this up and delve into greater detail at another stage. Um, I want to thank you both for your insightful conversations and um, look forward to having you on the podcast again soon. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you to all our listeners. We hope you enjoyed the episode as well. Please do follow, rate, and subscribe to Sound Strategic wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts to keep up to date with all the latest episodes. For more in-depth analysis of the key international security and defense issues from around the world, be sure to follow the IISS on Twitter, LinkedIn, or visit the IISS website. Thank you and see you next time.